Well, amen. No turning back, folks, right? Amen. Go ahead and be seated, if you will. Good singing. I uh, told our first service, I was, before the first service started, I was just singing up a storm. And uh, some people came by and let me know that I probably will never make it here on stage. And, but I was singing anyway like I knew what I was doing. There was a little girl sitting right down there, and after they left, she came up to me, the little girl did, and she said, well, I think you're going to be a good singer one day. <laughs> so uh, I think maybe there's uh, maybe a little bit of hope for me yet. Amen. Well, church, I'm glad you're here. It's Mother's Day. We, uh, guys, I tell you what, uh, my sermon's real short, not over 45, 50 minutes. But guys, I think what we better do is stand up and let our women know, our mamas know we appreciate them. Guys, would you stand and give them a... Thank you, guys. I just helped you. That's going to pay dividends for you. I want you to take your Bible this morning, and I'd like for you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Okay, Everybody find a Bible and uh, turn with me. If you were here last week, you know that for the next uh, four or five weeks, whatever, we're going to be walking through an incredible chapter of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11. I shared a little bit with you last time that the, the intent, by the way, Hebrews is a sermon. It's not so much a letter as it is a, don't ever talk to me about being long-winded, okay? Because this is, a, this is a letter, I mean, a sermon that he's preaching. And what he's trying to do is to help them understand in the midst of incredible persecution and challenge that Jesus is not only superior, that's a big word in Hebrews, or that Jesus is better, which is kind of the same word, a pretty important word, but he's wanting them to know that Jesus is really the, the only way. It is the one and only way that you can live rightly in the midst of times that tend to be very challenging. And so he's talking to them about what true faith is. When he comes to chapter 11, he wants to describe for them what true faith is. And then he begins to demonstrate it through the lives of some Old Testament men of old, godly men of old. And, and so he's trying to help them understand, but also to help them be encouraged during difficult times. Last week, if you were with us, as, as kind of a lead-in to the series, one of the things I mentioned to you is this, that any time pressure hits, any time challenge to your faith hits, or any time persecution begins to hit, one of the things we try to do, because it's a natural thing, we try to escape pain. We don't like pain. The path of least resistance is kind of what we do. And so what was happening here, the reason he had to preach this sermon to them, is that they were thinking, man, I don't really like the pain. Who does? I don't like the challenge. Who does? 
So I think what it might be better for me or easier for me would be to go back to what I was before. It wasn't illegal to be a Christian. I might be challenged somewhat, but it probably wasn't going to cost me my life. And so the writer's trying to help them understand that you don't want to go back because Jesus is the best way. In fact, he will help them understand you can't go back. Even if you kind of feel like you want to, a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, even when it gets tough, cannot go back. Theologians call that, the first of all, the, the doctrine of preservation. That God preserves his own. When God saves you, God protects you, and God's going to take care of you, even in the midst of challenging times, God's your protector. So God's going to preserve your life. Gang, I want to tell you, it's a little challenging out there now, is it not? This week, did we not have a judge who thinks he can overrule the wishes of the people of the state of Arkansas? And sometimes we think, how am I going to live in this turmoil? How am I going to live for Christ in the midst of all this pressure? I'll tell you how you're going to live in it. Because God preserves his own. God is your protector and God's going to take care of you. That's what theologians call the doctrine of preservation. The other side to the same coin is called the doctrine of perseverance. God tells us, not only does God preserve us, but the children of God always persevere in the faith. By the way, that's one of the tests for real salvation. Those who claim to be saved and yet fall away or turn away, or try to escape away when times get tough. All that shows is they never had it to start with. Those who are of the faith are preserved by God, but they always persevere in the faith. Let me give you a couple biblical verses of that. Philippians 1.6. Paul says, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will perfect it, the word means complete it, to the day of Christ. Who's doing the work? God's doing the work. And Paul says that God's not only started it, but God's going to complete it. I, I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and he's all upset and shook up. I, I want to die. God's not shook up, gang, about what's going on in this world. God is on his throne. God is sovereign. God's in control. And what God is doing, he's going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.13 says, It is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So those who say they got it but falter away or fall back or turn their heels, it just proves they never had it to start with. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to help them understand those kind of things. He's dealing with a group of discouraged, disillusioned believers who need a lift. Perhaps today you've been beat up 
Perhaps today you're disillusioned. Maybe you're discouraged a little bit. Maybe today you need a little bit of bolstering in your faith. I believe Hebrews 11 can do that. I invite you to stay with us over the next several weeks as we explore this incredible chapter. Let me tell you what my goal is today, okay? First of all, is to give you a brief definition of what true faith is, okay? Secondly, I want to give you a brief description of what true faith is. Now, I want to underscore the word brief because some of you are thinking you've never been brief in your life. Well, when I talk about brief, it's kind of relative. You know, I think maybe 40 minutes or something, okay? No, it's not going to be that long. But we need to understand what faith is. We need to see how the Word of God describes it. And then over the course of several weeks, we're going to see how those holy men of old lived their faith out. Okay, Hebrews chapter 11, would you stand in honor of God's Word? And let's read Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 3, okay? By the way, verse 1, I I'd mentioned this last, verse 1 has always been a challenge to me. I, I had, I've always had trouble getting my head around verse 1. I think maybe I've understood it a little bit better. Maybe I can convey it to you, okay? Verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Let's pray. Father, I pray that in these next few moments that God, you'll help me convey what I believe you had me study. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will have freedom to help illuminate into the heart of your people the revelation of the Word of God to encourage those who need encouraging, to help all of us understand that we are victors in Jesus Christ. And even though a man might think he can overrule the people, you're still on the throne. And nothing happens in this world without your blessing, without your stamp of approval. Help us, God, today, I pray, in these next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks. Be seated. I mentioned to you verse 1. He doesn't really define faith. He seeks to, to describe faith to us. But i tell you what I want to do. I want to give to you a, a, a definition. I want to do my best, anyway, to give to you a definition of faith, and there's a couple reasons why I need to do this. Number one, I think we as Christians tend to think that faith is something that we work up from within. We, we think that if it's kind of like being on a stationary bicycle, and if we get on the bicycle, and if we start turning the wheels, we're going to start generating some faith. And the faster we turn, the more faith we're going to get. And so we begin to think, well, what does it mean to live the Christian life on this stationary bicycle? It means to pedal with performance. So we begin to pedal 
and we peddle and we think we're generating it. And if I just go to church more often, I'm going to do it. If I tithe more, yeah, if I tithe more, I'm going to have more faith. And I'm going to do all these things. And I'm going to get all this religion. And faith's going to grow, but we're wrong. That's not the way faith works. You see, one of the dangers in our name it, claim it church culture today, someone call it blab and grab it, is that we think that we can just generate faith, we can manipulate God into doing and giving us everything we want to do. And if we can't get the moon, that it's not God's fault, it's our fault, so we've got to generate more faith. But folks, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it's a gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. Faith's external. It's a gift of God. It's objective before it can ever be subjective. It's got to be external to be a gift before it ever becomes internal and we make it work for ourselves. Faith is not in your righteousness. You're not righteous. Faith is not in self-righteousness. You don't have any. You can't have any. Faith is in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and what he did on a cross as he shed his blood for your sin. Faith is something that God gives to us after the heart is regenerated. He convicts us of sin. He draws us. We, 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 we are regenerated or quickened. And he gives us faith to believe. It's a gift of God. He gives us repentance to turn from sin. And I think somehow in this culture in which we live and all this junk we see on TV, we think faith is something we've got to work up. And we forget that faith is a gift that God gives to us. Now there's a second reason I think we need to have a, at least a good working definition of faith. And that is that we tend to segment faith into classifications. Somehow we give the impression that there's all different kinds of faith. And we preachers are the worst at it. I know you've been here with me and long enough you've heard me talk about saving faith. Then you've heard me talk about sanctifying faith. Sometimes at a memorial service we talk about dying faith and or we'll challenge you to live right in this world and we talk about living faith nothing necessarily wrong with that except it may give the impression that all these faiths are are different but it's not it's one and the same just different applications to the faith that God gives better would be this way you were saved that's justification you are being saved, that's sanctification. You shall be saved, that is glorification. That's a better way to talk about faith. It's one and the same. And the Bible clearly teaches to us, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the Bible clearly teaches us that is, it is a gift of God. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it, it is a gift it, it, and a seed in his faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
And so, gang, you don't get it by working it up. You get it by receiving from above. And as you go through life's challenges, you appropriate it more and more more into life situations, especially when life gets tough. And so when God gives it, you receive it, you live it, and the writer's trying to tell his readers through all the suffering that you go through until you get to heaven. Now, there's a challenge in that. You have to ask yourself, have I ever received true faith from God? But there's a blessing in it. Because if you have received true faith from God, you're not going to fall away. You're not going to fall back. Gang, we're victors through Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. How do you in the world do you think all these martyrs have died for the faith? We read about them in the Bible, don't we? But there's more people dying for faith today than ever before. How does that happen? You may look at yourself in the mirror and say, man, I could never do that. My answer to you is, yes, you can. If God so happens to to select you as one of those who give their life for the cause of Jesus Christ, at that moment when you need it, the faith that you have that he gave to you will be expressed. And you'll die for he who died for you. Well, let me tell you, I, I mentioned to you verse 1 always been a little bit of a challenge for me. I, I, I kind of searched for a good definition of faith. And, and I'm going to give you what I think is as good a definition for true faith as I've ever read. Now, you may have a better one. And it may be better. I don't know. But I've got to tell you, as I began to search for that, de- I came across Webster's definition, the dictionary. Can you believe it? Of course, Webster was a Christian. He was a re- Reformed guy. And I want you to read uh, with me how, how he defined faith, because there's a, there's a term in there very important. Here's how he put it. It's the ascent of the mind to the truth of God's revelation. The ascent of the mind to God's word as being true. It's the ascent of the heart to trust in God's character, not God's conduct. Sometimes we have trouble understanding the flow of the world and what's going on in the world. And and if you're not careful, you get all wailing. I get all shook up about all that kind of stuff. So I can't trust the conduct of God because I get outside of some boundaries. I've got to let my heart trust assent to the character of God. And then the assent of the will to unreserved surrender to obedience based upon Christ's merits, the cross. So it's the ascent of the mind, the ascent of the heart, and the ascent of my will to surrender totally to who I know of God, trusting Him in every storm, in every little detour of my life. While I may wonder what's going on, I believe that God knows what's going on, and I'm not going to forsake him. I'm going to go with him. 
all the way to the end. And I don't know about you guys, but there's some times I'm ready to go, huh? There's some moments in my life, if I had a push button to push stay or go, at least I would think right here I'd push go. Now, I may not if, the mo if it came, but there's some moments, and I'd like to see what he really looks like, huh? Wouldn't you like to see him? I mean, I wonder if he's got a really big nose or something, you know. I want to I sit down and have a hamburger with Joshua. I want to know what it was like for that man of old to step in after Moses and lead millions of people into the promised land. I'd like to talk to Moses. We're going to talk about Moses in a few. I'd like to talk about to him how disappointed he was. Because of his anger, he missed the promised land, huh? Aren't there just some moments when you'd like to go to see, to get a little glimpse of glory and wonder what it's like? See, that's part of the faith that he gives you to know that the victory is secure. Well, let me take you back to verse 1. I want to give you a couple things, okay? I, wa I want you to notice with me how the writer describes true faith. Okay, first thing he does, he tells us that biblical faith is looking forward in confidence in the impossible. Look at verse 1. The assurance of things hoped for. Now, what does that mean? Well, the writer says that faith is the reality of your hope. Faith makes your hope real. The word assurance that he uses is a word which means to stand under. Perhaps to be a foundation. Maybe to be stability or, or substance in your life. Faith is the assurance that my hope is real. Now, a question needs to be asked. What am I hoping for? Well, faith gives you confidence in your hope, but your hope must be biblical. It can't be some whimsical thing that we find floating around in our churches today, let me give you some examples of biblical hope. Titus 2.13, the Bible talked about the hope of Christ's return. We look to the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, I'll name that and I'll claim that. You know why? Because it's biblical. It's based upon God's revelation. How about hope for resurrection? 1 Peter 1.3, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'll claim that. How about hope for glorification? 1 John 3, 2 says, When he appears, we shall be like him, we shall see him. And it goes on to say, All of us that have this hope purify ourselves. How about this? A hope to reign with him. 2 Timothy 2, 12, If we endure, we shall reign with him. Gang, I don't know what that means, okay? I've always felt like that I'll probably be a janitor or I'll sweep a broom in glory. I don't know. But that's not what the Bible says to us. The Bible teaches us that if we endure, that's the term that's stressed in Hebrews to these people. If we endure, if we stand under the pressure, beloved, there's coming a day when we're going to reign 
with God. The faithful not only will survive, but the faithful will thrive one day. We're going to reign with Jesus Christ, the very one who shed his blood for us to cover our sins. We're going to reign. That's biblical hope. One writer said it this way, Faith celebrates now the reality of then. Faith celebrates now the reality of the future. We look forward in confidence to what might seem to be impossible, especially if you're undergoing persecution as they were, especially if your faith is being tested as theirs was, especially if your body is suffering like theirs, like many of ours possibly is. Faith is looking forward in confidence to the impossible. Second thing, if you look at that second phrase there, conviction of things not seen, faith is looking up in certainty to that which is invisible. It's seeing what can't be seen now, believing that it's just as real as you could see it. You see, faith doesn't require the eyes. It requires the heart, the spiritual eyes. A believer can live by faith because we believe that the unseen does not mean the unknown. It may be a promise that is yet to be fulfilled. It was to Abraham, wasn't it? I mean, Abraham got the promise. He didn't collect on it. It was down the road for his kids. Maybe. This certainty of faith is something that God has promised that is yet to be. Maybe it's a plan or a purpose yet to come. Maybe it's in the heart of God that he has chosen to remain a mystery that he will reveal when he's ready. A plan, a purpose in the future. I've shared with you, kind of my, those of you that have been here these years with me, I've kind of shared my life with you or my testimony from time to time, and my, my 20s were, were a little difficult. And I uh, was kind of bent on doing my own thing, my own way, and uh, God had to do some pretty major, God and my wife, I call her the Holy Spirit, they, uh, they had to do some major things in my life to kind of get my attention. And God then calls me to ministry. And I remember, Paul, I remember going home and telling Mama. Mama had Alzheimer's and it was beginning to, it was beginning to get her, you know. I remember going home and sitting down with Mama. I said, Mama, God's called me to the ministry. You know what Mama said? Tommy? Tommy was her name for me. If it was Thomas Edward, I was in trouble. Mama said, Tommy, I always knew that God had set you aside. How did she know that? Huh? How did she know that? When our son was in his final year at Washita, uh, we knew something was going on. Didn't know what. I just thought his grades were failing, and he was too big to whoop, you know. <laughs> but he, uh, he called his mama. And said, uh, Mama, I have surrendered my life to missions. I want to be a missionary. 
Paul has said, Jeff, I always knew that was going to How did she know that? How come I didn't know that? How did our mamas know things like that? You see, mamas have a little better intuition into God, don't they? Faith sees the invisible. Faith knows the impossible. And the only way you get it is by looking forward and by looking up. There are people listening to me. You can't look around because it's all screwy out there, man. You can't look around. I don't understand what all this stuff's going on, man. I don't understand the speed of this ungodliness. I don't know what's happened to some of our things in our nation, how one guy can control the state by simply saying that's unconstitutional when he probably doesn't even had never read the Constitution. I, if you look around, things are happening quickly before our very eyes that we can't quite understand. That's why when the writer, the preacher of Hebrews gave that verse, he says you've got to look forward. And you got to look up. You got to see that which is invisible. And you got to know what you think may be impossible when you're hurting. Look at verse 2 and 3 for a moment. For by it, men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God for this purpose. What is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Let me give you something. This will be a good Mother's Day conversation at the table, okay? You don't have to see to believe, but you got to see to believe. You got it, Tony? You don't have to see to believe, but you got to see to believe. Chew on that today when you're eating roast, okay? That's faith, man. Girls, that's faith. Let me wrap it up if I can, okay? Believers in every generation, every generation, has gone through faith furnaces. It was true then, and it's true today. A friend of mine one time said, a faith that fizzles in the furnace was faulty from the first. A faith that fizzles in the furnace was faulty from the first. Believers have always lived in faith furnaces. That's why believers have come out like diamonds. And if we're going to live in this anti-Godism of this world, we must not look with physical eyes. We must look with spiritual eyes. And we must have the foundation of faith. That's why we have to believe in, grab hold of, the character of God. Let me close with a couple statements that uh, I think we're going to put them on the screen for you. A couple statements. One guy wrote this. Here we go. Faith provides the firm ground on which we stand, waiting on the fulfillment of God's promise given to us in the Word. I like that, man. Faith provides the firm ground on which we stand, waiting on the fulfillment of God's promise given where? Circumstances, the wind of culture, his revelation. The inerrant, the infallible, word of God. That's the only place you can get it. J.C. Ryle wrote this, and I, I, this convicted me this week when I read it. 
Here's what he said, or here's what he wrote. In walking with God, a man will go just as far as he believes and no further. His life will always be proportioned, notice, to his faith, his peace, his patience, his courage, his zeal, his works. All will be according to his faith. A man will go no further than his faith. And where does faith come from? From God. And he places it as a gift into our hearts. And all we do is we allocate it as we go through some of the challenges of this life. I have a question in close. How is your faith? Hmm? How's your faith today? Do you have it? Have you received it? Not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift. Have you received God's gift of faith, of eternal life? Have you? Are you exercising it? Man, are you buffeted all the time? Are you anxious? I told, I just, you know, I shared our first, I share, you guys know me pretty well. I have, a, I have an anxious type personality. There's an anxiousness. I always seem to live with anxiousness. You know, I, 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 we take the offering, and Don doesn't even look what the offering is. I said, Don, got that. he said, it'd be all right. I said, I, you know, I hold my breath till they get through counting on my days. There's always been that part of me. That, challenge, that statement challenged me a little. Maybe it challenges you. How is your faith, huh? Do you, do you have faith? Do you? I want to tell you what carries you through eternity. The gift of faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's pray. The moment Stu is going to come and we're going to have a time of response. There'll be some getting ready to be baptized. How's your faith, folks? We're going to be here at the front. Maybe you just need some encouragement. These folks are disillusioned. Maybe we need to encourage you. Or maybe you have a decision we can help you with. Father, in these next few moments, God, help us to explore in our heart, to confirm in our heart that we have the gift of faith from you. And then God, help us to exercise it, to live it in a way that glorifies you in this world. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's